Welcome to a special virtual program of the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm Michelle Miao, member of the Board of Governors for the club. If you're just finding out about the Commonwealth Club of California, the club is the oldest and longest running public affairs forum in the country. Since COVID-19 or the pandemic, we have had to close our live audience programming, switching to an all virtual programming platform and offering these programs to you for free. So please support the work of the Commonwealth Club of California if you can by visiting commonwealthclub.org slash online. Thanks so much for joining us here for our special program, Halting Bigotry in Its Track. Uh, if you're joining us online and live and on YouTube, please join in on the conversation. We want you to be engaged. And so ask questions if you have them along the way. I'll get them through this amazing iPad. It's great what technology can do these days. And so I'm pleased to introduce you our incredible panelists. We have Judge Lillian Singh who is the first Asian-American woman judge in Northern California. Prior to being a judge, Judge Singh was a San Francisco Human Rights Commissioner, the first Asian-American Vice Chair of San Francisco Civil Service Commission, and the first Asian-American President of the Trustees of the San Francisco Community College. She's also been a founding member of various organizations, and we'll talk about them a little later, but she presently serves as a co-chair of the Comfort Women Justice Coalition. We also have Dr. Karen Korematsu, who is the founder and executive director of the Fred T. Korematsu Institute and the daughter of the late civil rights icon, Fred Korematsu. Since her father's passing in 2005, Karen has carried on his legacy as a public speaker, educator, and civil rights advocate. We also have Samina Usman, who is the Government Relations Coordinator for the San Francisco Bay Area Office of the Council on American-Islamic Relations. She advocates for legislation impacting civil rights, privacy protections, and an equitable society. Please welcome our panelists. Thank you so much for joining us here for the show. We'll start by, uh, we'll start off slow because we have a lot to talk about, you know, today and we are going to halt bigotry in its tracks by the end of this hour. Share your first memory of standing up for something or for yourself. We'll begin with Dr. Karen Kormatsu. Uh, well, thank you, Michelle, and, and thank you for putting together this, uh, significant program, especially during this time and also, uh, for Asian Pacific American Heritage Month um, in May. These are important issues that we need to address uh, and, const- and you know, constant battles of, of uh, continuance of, of hate uh, speech and, and violence. Um, actually, I, I was thinking about this because um, you, you said you're going to ask us this question. Um, my first advocacy goes back to the time I was in college, and this was during the Vietnam War. So uh, I never thought of myself then as a as a you know as an as an advocate as a civil rights advocate, but certainly it was a war that I disagreed with uh, having the U.S. Uh, participate in as many of my college colleagues. So that's my my first recollection. Uh, so for me, uh, actually, my parents 
had been um, relatively politically active. I mean, they came to this country in the 60s uh, when there was very few Muslims, especially in Southern California. And um, so my parents, they they were always just involved in the community. And so one of the, the activities that um, I remember my earliest memory was actually uh, protesting um, during the uh, Bosnian War. Uh, we wanted to make sure that there were some resources that were provided uh, for them um, and also, we were helping with Bosnian refugees that were uh, coming into the country. So that was when I was probably like a preteen or early teenager. So, um, my sense of justice was actually awakened during the seventies. I know Michelle, when we talked about it, I was going to say I was born with <laughs> the feeling of fighting justice. But my real sense of um, civil rights movement actually happened during the nineteen seventies when Professor Ling Chi Wang and I and three other people formed the Chinese Affirmative Action, which was really important because prior to that, people defined uh, discrimination, civil rights in terms of black and white. We know that's not. So we formed the Chinese Affirmative Action to tell the story of what our community is going through and has gone through through these years of living in America, fighting discrimination and trying to get justice. Well, it's an incredible honor to share space with you today to talk about this very important topic. Let's get into it. There's a long list of United States policies and incidents that would suggest the anti-Asian racism we're experiencing during this pandemic is history repeating itself. What are some examples that would explain how racism and xenophobia is deeply rooted in our history and policy making? We'll begin with Judge Singh. Okay. You know, unfortunately, this country is full of history that we cannot be so proud of. You know, this land is a land of opportunity. The American dream is what we all want to have. But the American dream sometimes turns into American nightmares when this ugly head of racism and discrimination is raised. Of course, we know about what happened during the Chinese Exclusion Act when there was a first ban on a specific group of people on the basis of race and ethnicity. And then, you know, uh, people, the families were separated and it was just a terrible, terrible era. That time, um, the Chinese came as railroad workers, but then after it was over, camps were burned, looted, and... Um, Three people that we are so proud of in San Francisco that we have named buildings and streets after turn out to be champions of the Exclusion Act. You remember um, Julius Kahn, Playground? Well, he was really an author of the Chinese Exclusion Act. Uh, also, um, uh, Phelan, John Phelan, who was also a champion of the Exclusion Act, and of all people, Bolt name of the famous law school from UC Berkeley. These three bad J's formed the with the architects of the exclusion, Chinese Exclusion Act. During this time, after this, then we have this McCarthy era, where Chinese was considered to be linked with communist China. Just because the United States was against communist China, Everyone who is Chinese was considered 
potential threat and a spy. And that time was really ugly. I remember that very well because I was representing some people who were undocumented for years because their citizenship and their passports were taken away. These were kids during the time. But the FBI would raid these uh, uh, clubs. Dr. Roland Lowe, for example, was only 15 years old. He belonged to an organization called Watching. Well, kids go and learn English, learn bilingual culture, such as dance and singing. They were considered potential spies. And a lot of these kids' citizenship were taken away, and they lost and became undocumented. You know, Dr. Roland Lowe became the first Asian-American president of the uh, California Medical Association and the first Asian-American president of the San Francisco American Society. Good people were threatened and the citizenship taken away. Right now, unfortunately, Michelle, this is happening in our, in our society at this very moment when uh, FBI Director Christopher Wray said last week, that China poses an all-out threat, to a whole society threat to the safety and security of the United States. What does that mean, a whole society threat? That means businesses, government activities, uh, universities, everywhere. And the target is with anyone who is Chinese-American is to be distrusted. This atmosphere right now, the climate of the country right now, is frightening. It reminds me so much of what happened during the McCarthy era when Chinese Americans were terrorized because of our relationship and association with the country of our birth, China. Mm. Samina? Well, honestly, I mean, if you're if you're asking about, you know, explaining racism and xenophobia and how it's been deeply rooted in our history, uh, you know, honestly, it's been since before our nation's founding uh, with bringing over, you know, slaves um, and, and, you know, how that is impacted us even today. Um, it definitely still has its, its, you know, absolutely horrible, you know, impact on, on communities today. And going a little bit further, I mean, you know, I know that in terms of like with the uh, Muslim community, um, we have seen a lot of our nation's policies, you know, whether it be um, COINTELPRO um, attacking, you know, c- communities. I mean, again, it's not just the Muslim community, obviously, but but that program had some so devastating, devastating consequences. Um, same thing, you know, we have like the National Security Entry and Exit registry system, which basically, which is a Bush era program um, that disproportionately targeted Arabs and Muslims and requiring people to, to register. Um, this happened, you know, after 9-11, um, you know, the, the Patriot Act. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, even today, we have some terrible policies uh, and programs such as the Countering Violent Extremism Program and the Preventing Violent Extremism Program that's in the state of California. I mean, you would think that like California is a very liberal um, or, you know, it, 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 they would have more progressive policies, but they, it's, it's not. And so, I mean, I'll go more into it a bit later, but again, with each administration, it doesn't matter if it's Republican or Democrat, um, you've had some dangerous um, um, and and really, you know, problematic problematic uh, policies that have um, impacted um, communities of color, especially, um, and that that need to be, you know, rectified and, and um, that need to be overturned. Karen, well, we can, you know, even go further back 
to the beginning of, of this country, the start of this country, um, with the, the prejudice and the racism that was, um, uh, was uh, attacked against our, our American, uh, you know, Indian friends, because uh, this is, you know, what kind of the white man has done uh, all these years and, you know, and then putting them in Indian reservations and, and taking their rights away. Um, and there's still, you know, many groups are even struggling, you know, today. But our, um, you know, our, our history, uh, unfortunately, is, is repeated, you know, from, as um, Lillian was saying, you know, the, the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, and, I, and I will say she pointed out one person, Bolt. Um, and, and fortunately, thanks to Dean uh, Chemerinsky at, at UC Berkeley and Berkeley Law, that they call that, uh, that, that name is no longer recognized. And so this is, this is about writing, writing a wrong. And that's what we need to uh, continually uh, address. So, of course, for the Japanese Americans uh, during World War II, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, they were, uh, you know, targeted as, um, you know, the, the, the cause uh, of all that. It was a, the, the, the same thing as we hear today, you know, go back home, you don't belong here. Uh, and, you know, clearly, you know, my father, Fred Korematsu, was one of those who, who said no, uh, that uh, he was an American citizen, he was born in this country, uh, why should he go to a, uh, an American concentration camp when he had done nothing wrong, all due process of law was denied, uh, and, and people were stripped of their, their homes, their possessions, and, and their dignity. And that's what we continually do. We try to target people's uh, dignity and 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 to accuse them uh, for for uh, something that is is not even their their fault. But even back in in 1942, they said, "Well, this is for this is military necessity." Well, now we call that national security. And um, you know, as Samina knows, you know the well, the first group of people to speak out. Uh, when the uh, Amemsa community was being a, a attacked, especially after 9-11 and even before that during the Gulf War, was the Japanese Americans. Um, and this is the opportunity that we, that we have, is at least now we have these collective groups, all these civil rights groups, that where we can stand up and, um, and, and say no you know, to people. That's why we have to say no to bigotry, that we have to stop this. And collectively, now we have the power to do that as long as we work together and, uh, and keep pushing, you know, keep pushing forward. It's, it, there is no, there's no easy answer. It's going to take all of us. It all keeps taking time, but we, we can't give up. It was like my father never gave up for almost 40 years that someday he would see justice, um, you know, before his, uh, a federal conviction was uh, overturned in 1983, and we just can't give up. Give up now. Thank you. You all bring up some um, very important, you know, examples and points in our our history, the United States, that shows how racist our policies are. But um, you know, leaders of the free world have justified uh, these policies under the guise of national security. So a lot of these policies, you know, we in our history. Um, we always talk about the need to do this because it's a threat to our, you know, country. And so that gets accepted by 
many people, but it doesn't talk about the impact um, that it has on us as Americans, on all of us. So let's discuss that in depth because we can point out even in a recent administrations, a lot of decisions that resulted in terrorizing the immigrant, people of color, and marginalized um, communities. I mean, there are a lot of examples of that, and you've already brought up some. Uh, we'll start with Samina. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, we've been seeing, I mean, I, I guess I should just focus uh, mainly on the on the Muslim community. You know, we've seen, especially after the horrific attacks of 9-11, it was used to justify um, surveilling and targeting um, Muslim communities more broadly, um, and also, you know, to, to uh, as I mentioned, I mean, again, one of the one of the first policies was the um, NSEERS program, um, which is a, a Bushehra program that um, you know required non-citizens to register when they entered the U.S. Um, and mandated that they had regular checks on, uh, you know, with immigration officials. And we had that program be used in order to kick out a number of, you know, like uh, thousands of, of Muslims. Um, you know, there's one case that that really sticks with me is when a man he got into an accident and he was not able to make it for his regular check-in, even though he had his doctor note or hospital records or whatever. Um, he was told, nope, you didn't make the meeting, and you're no longer allowed to stay in this country. So he was kicked out. So I mean, again, um, the these policies, um, you know, you have these uh, um, things that may happen, and then that could be used to quote unquote justify, um, you know, targeting of, of communities, um, you know, the Patriot Act. I mean, the absolute, like the surveillance um, um, efforts um, on, you know, Muslim communities, and then trying to create these programs such as the Countering Violent Extremism Program, where, you, you know, it, it, it turns communities like against each other. If people accept um, money for, you know, for this program, they're basically spying on, on their communities. Um, and so, you know, and again, one of the things that I'm really, you know, concerned about is the statewide um, program, the Preventing Violent Extremism Program, which we're trying to fight. Um, we're actually, right after this call, I'm going to be um, um, testifying um, you know, in the budget committee to ensure that we're not going to be funding this type of program, um, because it is going to be affecting, you know, those who are Muslim or refugees or African Americans or Latinx, um, you know, claiming that they're more prone to radicalization and violence. And this is um, incredibly, you know, problematic, um, uh, you know, so, so, you know, that's another problem. But most, um, most, you know, recently, in terms of, um, well, you we had the Trump administration, the very first executive order that was passed was the Muslim ban, you know, banning. And, um, and now that has been expanded uh, to 11 um, countries. And, um, you know, we've seen families be torn apart um, because of this uh, racist, xenophobic uh, program or the, this um, executive order that is, is, yeah, is tearing families apart. I mean, my, my kids, uh, teacher, he had gotten married and he has not been able to be united with his um, wife who's, you know, based out of Yemen. I mean, there was another case where we had a, um, a mother whose child um, was in the States um, for medical treatment and um, she was not allowed to enter the country. She had a two-year-old boy who was, you know, on life support and she was not able to enter the country until we had thousands of letters and elected officials, you know, speaking out against this. And finally, she was able to come and be reunited with her son uh, 10 days before he died. I mean, these are, um, 
terrible policies that are instituted under the guise of, oh, this is national security, we need to protect our country, you know, um, and, and, you know, what, what it's really doing is causing a lot of fear, a lot of mistrust, and it's, it's tearing families apart. Yeah, this, what you said, Samina, is absolutely happening all over the United States to every uh, ethnic community. But China is now seen as the number one threat to the United States. So Chinese Americans are seen to be possible spies for the United States. This is what happened to Wen Ho Lee in the uh, 1990s. He was a great scientist with the University of California and was a nuclear scientist when all of a sudden the FBI came down and charged him with 59 counts of somehow getting information to China. They never proved that. In fact, they, after, after Wen Ho Lee was arrested, the judge did not allow bail. He was put into uh, isolation. And, and after all that turned out, there was nothing. There was no uh, conviction except uh, Wen Ho Lee pled guilty to mishandling of files related to the science work. You know, we all mishandle our files. And yet he was sentenced to jail, denied bail, denied his liberty. That's a kind of paranoia we are going through at that time and we're going through right now. You know, earlier I mentioned about the McCarthy era and now what's happening. And I earlier mentioned about how Christopher Wray is going through this whole society threat to the United States. China's posing a whole society threat. Means everything: business, media, science, uh, uh, government, education, and Chinese is to be distrusted. On top of that, uh, um, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, along with um, Minority Leader of the Senate Mitch McConnell, introduced and supported a legislation that will allow the FBI to conduct surveillances without first establishing that the person has any connection or is affiliated with the international terrorist group. What does that mean? It's a threat to all of our liberties. You know, this is not only a bad legislation for Chinese Americans, it's a bad legislation for every American in the United States. The most precious right that we have as American citizens is the right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure. The Constitution protects us, and yet... The head of the Democratic Party, the head of the Republican Party, who never got along, suddenly got together on this bill. This bill is dangerous. It's dangerous to all of us as American citizens, and I hope it never gets passed. But what is happening in this country right now? Minorities are considered as potential enemies of this country with no evidence whatsoever. That's because our economy is going through so much um, problem right now because of the pandemic, and yet our country is not prepared for the pandemic, has nothing really to do with it. The women have adequate testings, and they've tried to use a scapegoating China for the problem. Scapegoating minorities is the pattern of this country. Whenever there's a crisis, they have to find somebody to blame. Chinese has been blamed during the McCarthy era, during right now during the pandemic, which is especially, especially dangerous. And, you know, there's so much... Uh, hate crimes going on right now. I don't know. We all heard about what Chinese affirmative action and the University of San Francisco State, SF State University, 
got together to form a center called the Asian American Pacific Island Hate Center to collect statistics. It started in March of 19 and already in two months, in two months, they got 2,000 reports of hate incidences. The hate incident actually happened to my grandson. Uh, he's, I'm very proud of my grandson who's just turned 18. He's a great soccer player in the state of Pennsylvania and got an all-star um, uh, award, which means that he's one of the best players in Pennsylvania. I'm not very good at soccer, so I really don't really know what the exact title is, but I know he's a hero in his community and he's a hero in the state of California. He went to the bathroom during one of the soccer games and all of a sudden the boys in the bathroom said, oh, don't worry, he doesn't carry COVID uh, virus, but be careful. Poor Logan. He was born in the United States, raised in the United States. They didn't even know he was Chinese American. I hate to say that. I'm sorry, he does. But uh, he was taken back. He didn't know how to deal with this racist comment. He didn't say anything. And it took him a long while to tell me what happened. That's what happens when you become victimized with bullying and being called names. Kids are being hurt. Kids are being affected mentally, if not physically by these hateful assaults. We need to help our community become better communities and not allow this hate to continue. And it's a virus against um, this whole community. It's, it's a physical virus, but it's a mental health virus as well. Yep. So we all are in the same boat. I don't care which uh, race we are, unless the white race. You know, America was not founded by the white race. It's Native Americans who are really the forefathers of America in the United States. But as you say, Michelle, the history of this country is uh, is good, but there are a lot of sad histories there in this yeah. country. And we need yeah. to talk and about it. And I really want to thank you for bringing this subject up. Thank you. Yes. And we'll wrap back around, you know, how do we stop it all? If we have this long history of repeating it, how do we stop it? But I do want to give Karen a chance um, to to jump in and, and talk about that. You know, I think for a lot of us, um, even as voters, as community members, it was something scary is happening, like a pandemic, like war, like, you know, and then policies are just being floated out there as national security. You mentioned earlier, uh, you know, an example, Japanese the Japanese internment camps. I mean, that's that is in you know in inhumanity disguised as national security. So, we'd love for your thoughts on this. Yes, well, and and continues on. I mean, uh, you know, the uh, as Samina was talking about separation of families. I mean, certainly, you know, with our immigration issues, that's what's happening at the border. And now, then, and not only that, but they're their health is at risk with the, with the COVID. And that's why we're trying to get uh, those camps closed. Um, I'm part of a group called Subaru for Solidarity that um, we were going to have a, a big march in, in uh, Washington, D.C. Um, in, in June, beginning of June. Uh, and uh, all the, uh, the origami cranes that uh, represents all these uh, different people that have been separated from their families, we were going to, you know, basically uh, stream those and reel him from the White House um, and and to make people aware that this you know we th- as I said we keep repeating the the same mistakes we we marginalize we separate we um, you know we are attacking 
um, you know, individuals and, and groups. I mean, it, it just, it goes on and on. Even the fact that um, uh, before even my father's case in, in June 1982, Vincent, Ch um, um, uh, Vincent Chen was um, beatily, was beaten brutally and, and killed um, because the, you know, the Japanese uh, car industry was doing so well that in Detroit, Michigan, especially where we have our auto industry, um, these three uh, guys thought uh, Vincent was a, um, uh, was Japanese and they, and they were, because they lost their jobs, they were accusing him uh, and beating him for, for their, for their loss. So this is kind of the, the, you know, it's this, this hate violence, the hate rhetoric just continues to ramp up, especially when we in this country are in times of crisis. The, the problem has always been there, right, as we have talked about. But when we have this kind of crisis, then it's magnified. But, but now that it's magnified, we all need to collectively say, okay, what are we going to do? To, to educate people, because that's really our most uh, powerful weapon. I mean, I do that through the Korematsu Institute in trying to teach students about moral principles, about courage, about respect that we seem to have lost in this country. Uh, and so that's, you know, one of the things that, that we've been promoting is um, especially this Hollaback uh, uh, um, bystander intervention um, seminars that um, where you can learn how to, because it's scary, you know, as, as um, uh, the judge was saying, you know, her, her grandson was afraid to say something. Well, I can tell you after, you know, it was after the bombing of Pearl Harbor and around uh, 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 um, December 7th, when the kids, when I was growing up, would blame me for the bombing of Pearl Harbor, right? It's your fault for the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Go back to where you come from. And, you know, we're still hearing that today. So it's, this is the, the same negative rhetoric that continues from one generation to another. And this is why we need to make people accountable for their words and the rule of law. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Before I, I uh, ask you the next question, I think I want to read some comments from our audience. Thank you so much for submitting these. And again, please be engaged. Please send us your questions and we'll read them throughout for our panelists. Um, and send us comments. We like those too. But these comments are great to set up the next question. There's a comment from an audience member who says, the blame on China for COVID-19 is based on false allegations of lying and cover-up. Unsubstantiated accusations are repeated over and over until the false accusations become accepted as fact. Uh, there's another comment to effectively halt bigotry requires putting a stop to the McCarthyite red scare hysteria being promoted by both Democrats and Republicans. Um, the CCP is responsible for COVID-19, not Asians. And then another comment, ethnicities do not cause viruses and blame, bl placing blame on any region has real measurable impacts. Over 1,800 incidents of anti-Asian acts since mid-March. Let's fix the problem, not the blame. And so I think that's a good setup for, you know, where we're at today and you all are leading us there. Let's talk about what's happening right now during this pandemic. The, the president and his administration continue to talk about the virus, COVID-19, as if it's a foreign attack, that it originated from China, that the administration 
Um, his administration also casually talks about investigating labs in Wuhan with the idea that China created the pandemic, uh, that it's coupled with, uh, you know, political tensions. This is all happening right now at the same time that there are political tensions between the United States and China. So how has the United States and China relationship impacted Chinese Americans and all Americans, really, uh, Americans of color and, and different ethnic backgrounds? How's, how has it contributed to increased violence and racism against the Asian American community, including the Amemsa community? And so we'll begin with Karen. Well, I think we've, you know, we've been t- talking about that and, uh, uh, you know, clearly back in, um, uh, back in, uh, 1983, um, uh, uh, when my father's federal conviction was overturned, one of the, um, uh, after going through a, um, a, a report about the war relocation authority and how they were treating uh the um the japanese americans that were in incarceration camps you know one of the results of that was uh lack of political leadership and uh clearly that's what we're seeing now is a lack of political leadership um that just that just you know kind of uh feeds the uh you know the the circumstances and and where where facts are not even correct, um, you know, this is the problem is, is when you have leadership that comes out of the White House and the facts aren't correct, you know, a lot of people, unfortunately, believe them. You know, you, you think this is a, a, a leader that's, that's supposed to, to know the facts. And so people believe them. And, uh, and, and, and so, and they're not. That's why it takes all of us to, um, you know, to say, you know, no, these are not the facts that, uh, what's, you know, we have to be accountable, uh, for our actions. And, and clearly, uh, you know, there's a lot of research as far as the COVID goes that, that needs to be done. Um, even, even, uh, Governor Cuomo said, well, you know, he's, uh, he, he was impacted, but, you know, those were from people that came over from Europe. Well, I mean, so you, they, they still don't know. And, and it's always, you know, as the judge was saying, you know, finding scapegoating, finding somebody to blame and, uh, and our policies need to, to be changed so that we aren't in these positions again. And the one thing that I will say, take this opportunity is to, to make sure everyone fills out the census because the census is very important. Uh, for the future of our country, that only happens every ten years, and now is the time because we need to to uh, to be sure we have the services um, that our communities need, and that the political leadership is going to be in in place through representation, um, and also to vote because the way we can make a difference, people get very complacent, and voting is so important. So. It, you know, even we, even I'm so amazed that even high school kids are out there, you know, especially well before the COVID, you know, and everybody was shut down, trying to get out there in the community and to educate people about uh, the importance of voting and trying to even pre-vote. So, uh, and, you know, and also because we have to watch this danger of, um, of, you know, the, the, uh, the mail, uh, the ballot, mail ballot issue, because, Clearly, we're hearing some of that, um, that they don't, you know, that, that, uh, uh, the White House doesn't want, um, um, mail out, uh, ballots. 
Um, and then our postal system gets attacked. So these are, you know, there's this, this, there are a lot of layers and problems. I mean, we could, we've got more problems. <laughs> we could string from the West Coast to the East Coast uh, and, and back again. But we all need, you know, the way to make a difference. Everybody to speak up just to do a little bit, to get your friends to vote, to help to, if you have policies, if you have to have petitions, to change policies, to make sure that everyone signs these petitions so that we can make these changes. But collectively, if we don't, if we just sit back and go, oh, someone else is going to do it, then we're going to keep repeating the same mistakes from, from, you know, generation to generation. I know, Judge Singh, you have a whole lot to say about the current United States-China tension and how it's impacted all of us here in America. True, Michelle. Um, Everything Karen says, I adopt. I'd like to go into United States foreign policy, especially Mm -hmm. U.S.-China relationships. You know, last year we celebrated 40th anniversary of China-U.S. official diplomacy when the United States recognized the one China policy. 40 years later, this week, what did the, the, uh, the Trump administration do? Congratulated Taiwan's president uh, for her inauguration for her second term. As if, and, and, you know, Pompeo is doing that deliberately to antagonize China. The United States really wants a war with China. That's what I'm afraid of. It is terrible what the United States is doing to China. I was so happy as a Chinese American when in 1979, the United States and China got together and both countries prospered. So many cultural exchanges, educational exchanges, economic exchanges, both countries benefited. Right now, with this problem between the United States and China, the tension is really, really high. And I don't know whether a president like Trump there who has a thumb that could let off a nuclear bomb anytime. And this is a guy who said that he's taking hydroxychloroquine for, uh, for preventing uh, this uh, virus when science medicine clearly says it is not. And this president is leading by very, very bad example. His lies about this China virus, Wuhan virus, is really causing people to have hate towards Chinese Americans in this country and all over the world. Recently, there was a text on the internet by a guy who was dressed in a helmet suit, and he said, I want to go out and get some Chinamen. That is so dangerous. It's like lynching the African Americans during horrible times. This kind of lies reminds me of what happened in uh, World War II in Germany. The famous, you know, big lie, if you tell it often enough, people will believe it. And, you know, a lot of people are believing it in the United States. People believe that China must be responsible for this virus. And I really hope that this pivot to um, Asia that was started by the Obama administration when Obama tried to change uh, security and military power from Middle East to Asia and only really to China because the United States was threatened by economic growth and how well China was doing and is still doing. You know, China is no longer the 
segment of Asia. China no longer will take all this assault and insult from the Western countries. China has to stand up. And I'm proud that China is standing up because China has been so much damaged during the opium war and so forth. And right now, United States and China need to get back together. They need to have a U.S.-China friendship and need to work together to solve the world problems like this pandemic. We cannot split up. We, Trump is blaming China. Trump is making all these accusations with no facts, no basis at all. And yet people are believing it and good people are being hurt. So again, Michelle, I'm really worried about the security of our country getting into war with China because the United States is blaming China for everything and people are believing it, unfortunately. They're blaming China for the unemployment rate that's so high. They're blaming China for the health problems of the over 90,000 people that have died since the, war, uh, the pandemic started. They're blaming China for unemployment rates. That's what happened in Michigan when the Vincent Chin was murdered because of the unemployment, high unemployment rate in the auto industry. So all this is happening. And I think if we have a U.S.-China policy, that is good, things will be getting much better. Unfortunately, under the Trump administration, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Samina, would you like to add anything to that, especially around, um, yeah, foreign relation uh, and policies and also how it's also impacted the Arab and Muslim communities as the anti-Asian racism has increased during this time? Um We'd love to hear your thoughts on on how it's also impacted the MMSA community. I mean, well, honestly, our country has been at the brink of war with so many uh, nations in this past like few years, whether it be China, whether it be Russia, whether it be, um, you know, uh, I mean, it, 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 whether it be Iran, um, that was uh, uh, another big concern for, for communities uh, over here um, because, you know, we, we can't. You know, the, the rhetoric of our president is um, so damaging and it has consequences and it could potentially lead us into another war. And that's absolutely something that we, we do not want to have. Um, it's easier to scapegoat the other rather than take a good look at ourselves and look at what we've been doing Um you know, whether it be the economy, whether it be, you know, the, the way that we, um, our response to this whole COVID crisis, um, you know, whether it be, you know, the, the preparing, I mean, because honestly, we were truly unprepared for this whole crisis, this whole pandemic. And it begins with, you know, the, the letting go of key people in the administration who were in charge of a response for if anything like this were to happen. So, you know, um, it, it really begins with our leadership. It begins with, um, you know, our our priorities, because I feel as though we are we have not been prioritizing um, looking, uh, looking at what how are our um, our policies and our actions are impacting ourselves. Um, you know, uh, you know, I'm sure that this whole pandemic is going to be, you know, used in order. I mean, I, I feel like without the pandemic our economy was going to be messed up um, regardless because of, you know, the, the, the different um, tax breaks or whatnot. I mean, and we can go, you know, we can go uh, into that, but, uh, but that would probably take over this whole show. Um, but the thing is that, 
you know, we were we were going to be facing some issues regardless. And so with this pandemic, it's easier to, to blame that and to blame the other for the cause of the pandemic and which is leading to these hate incidences and hate crimes um, that are happening against, um, you know, Asian communities. Um, and then we're also seeing that, you know, um, I, I think that because people have been in shelter in place, have a lot of, unfortunately, time on their hands and have been, you know, using that time to, you know, attack others, um, whether it be through hate incidences. I mean, I know that, you know, we've seen um, with, the, with the Muslim community, we've seen um, numerous mosques being, um, uh, you know, vandalized um, in Charleston and Salt Lake City, um, in Minneapolis. Um, and also we've seen a Missouri mosque that was set on fire. Um, and, and again, a couple of them had happened right uh, around the time of the, the beginning of the holy month of Ramadan. So as Muslims were set to, you know, to take part in their, their fast, they're now rebuilding um, the, these mosques. Um, and, and it's really, um, it, it's terrible uh, to, to, you know, to, to go and attack the other. We've also seen um, incidences where Muslim leaders have had, when they're taking part in Zoom calls, because now, of course, obviously, all the mosques are shut down. And so they've changed their programming to to be to be remotely and um we've seen numerous uh, muslim leaders have their zoom calls be be bombed with terrible images whether it be child pornography or um images of of 9-11 um the the twin towers or attacks on like our prophet and so you, you know you're seeing this these type of hateful um um, uh, attacks happening, not only with the Muslim community, I've seen other, um, I've heard of other, you know, people of color who've had um, racist, uh, terrible images being shown, whether it be um, the, you know, a swastika or like a cross burning or whatnot. So um, we are seeing an increase in attacks um, against, you know, a, a number of, uh, of communities of color, but especially definitely the, the Asian American communities. I think all three of you might agree with me with this assessment. I mean, to me, you know, these types of policies, the power, the history of racism and xenophobia of the United States have kept many of our vulnerable uh, communities marginalized and also just that vulnerable. And so when something as big as a pandemic happens, you know, it's no surprise that our most vulnerable communities are the ones that are greatly impacted, which means low-income working class, uh, you know, our elder communities, people with, with um, you know, health issues. Uh, looking at COVID in America, we know that it's a significant or a disproportionate percentage of African Americans who have died of COVID-19 and, and just read an article in San Francisco. In San Francisco, over 50% of those who have passed due to COVID-19 are Asian Americans. And so that kind of you know brings me to the last 15 minutes of our program in talking about we know that history repeats itself because these policies keep changing. And even today, those policies are being accepted and passed at a really fast rate and a, a, almost in an unconstitutional way where there's checks and balances are thrown out the window. Um, some of it is kind of sneaking through, especially around surveillance, around national security. So we've made a lot of those points in our talk. Now is the question of, while it may feel like there is an overarching power and we feel almost powerless even during a pandemic, there are things that we need to do 
and there are things that we shouldn't do. So I'm almost going to ask them together because I know that those were the two last questions of the program. Um, but I love that even in our preliminary talk, you brought up, you know, one of the things not to do is to s step into a, what I, I call a, a, a bomb, a, a, a trap of, you know, showing what patriotism to this country means. So we'll start there, you know, what not to do and then end with some things that we can do and we will halt bigotry in its tracks. Lillian, Judge, Judge Singh. Yeah, you know, we should not do what Andrew Yang tells people to do. Let's, he said, I quote him, let's show everyone how American we can be. We can never do that. We need to identify ourselves. We cannot allow the white America to define us. And the white America will never accept us. We can never be more American than what we are now. So what does that mean? I mean, we don't have to... We, during the McCarthy era, that's what parents did. They didn't teach them Chinese. They didn't want the children to know about Chinese culture because they want, they want to remove Chineseness from them as, as if they can. Our race is on our faces. We can never be what white Americans are, and we should not be because we're very proud of our culture. And therefore, you know, uh, we, we need to tell people like my grandson, who is really six foot three, by the way, he was not afraid to talk about it or to, to, to handle these people, but he just didn't know what to do. He was so shocked. But, you know, Gary Locke, who was born in the United States, uh, his father served in the war and was in Normandy. He was depicted by Ray, uh, Trump's administration as if he were a Chinese official. At that time, he was serving as a U.S. ambassador to China. Trump was trying to attack Biden, as who is more uh, less patriotic to the United States and leaning towards China. So they picked somebody like Gary Locke, depicting him as if he were a Chinese official. That was so insulting. That's why Andrew Yang can never win with his, let's be more American or let's try to show people how American we are. Gary Locke can be the most, is the most American successful story you can ever ask for two times governor of the state of Washington, U.S. ambassador to China, and yet he is seen as a foreigner. So we need to define our own history. We, we need to learn from our history, and we should never allow people to define us. That's what I think we should not do. What we should do is what Karen is saying and what we've all been talking about. Let's learn, let's know about our history Let's make sure we educate the public about who we are, what is the history of the United States in terms of racism and sexism, and let's hope to work together to prevent these kind of things from happening again. Unfortunately, in this country, history seems to repeat itself over and over again, but we cannot give up. I'm going to add two questions from our audience. Thank you so much for submitting them because I think that also um, will add to your answers for my my question, which is, uh, you know, these narratives are truly appreciated. How can we as individuals or our students for educators make a real impact in halting bigotry, ways to engage in activism, and also how do we encourage more Asians to be politically active and push back? Being silent hasn't helped. And I think that, you know, both of those points would be made in your answers. Uh, we'll go to Karen. Well, we the one thing that we don't want to do is be complacent. Um, we we just can't accept that. 
that uh, that we each be, you know, being uh, being an American is to participate. Uh, that's what a, a true American does. And like I said, just even just even a little bit. Um, and it's you know, it's, people get scared, and and everyone understands that, especially when your ethnicity is the one that's being a, a, attacked. Right? You're afraid to say anything. But if you if you don't think that you have to do this alone. Try to partner with someone else. Um, and other groups need to partner with each other. You know, that's, that's the advantage that we have now. So like the, the, you know, the, uh, the MEMSA community partners with uh, the Japanese American community and the Chinese American community, you know, will, will partner with the African American community. I mean, we all, the, the Latino community, we all need to work together collectively. Um, but, but people do get afraid you know, individually. Um, and that's, you know, that's why, like, I'm promoting this bystander um, uh, participation uh, and training through the through Hollaback, uh, because then you can learn what you can do, you can stand in front of somebody who's being attacked and, and kind of prevent someone from being attacked. Violence is one thing that's, that's something that we, you know, want to certainly not we want to stay away from, but, you know, to kind of distract and, and, uh, uh, help people that way and just say no no you can't say that you know that's not acceptable people are, a lot of times are in themselves afraid to say no and uh when they when they hear this hateful rhetoric you know just say no i'm that's that's not acceptable that's not the way that that americans should be talking and then throw it back to what it is to be an american because um we all have that responsibility to uphold our democracy, uphold our civil liberties and the constitution and our human rights and to protect each other's human rights. So it's, it's, you know, we, we have to really figure out a way to do this collectively. And it, and and it's a give and take, you know, it's no one's got this perfect formula. Unfortunately, Uh, we all would like to be able to have just this magic wand and go poof, you know, it's all going to be, it's all going to, you know, all going to change, but we know through history that it hasn't. But as, as judge Singh was saying, you know, this is why, you know, for teachers, this is why teaching history, teaching the history of, of, of our country, like that, you know, people don't even realize the different layers of the Japanese American incarceration of World War II. They think they know, but they don't. They don't know the separation of families. They don't know that people lost everything, their possessions. They don't know that when they were released from a prison camp, they were only given $25 in a bus ticket. They don't know that these conditions were inhumane, that people had to live in horse stalls and there was manure and there was, you know, all those types of things, the in-depth history of, of, of everyone. And what people can do is, especially young people, I tell them, know your own story. What were your, what was your family's story of, of struggle to come to this country other than our American, you know, Indian friends? Um, you know, everyone came from someplace else. No one just sprouted up from the ground. Um, and, you know, everyone has, has a story that we need to share because prejudice is ignorance. And the only way we can fight that, and it sounds very simple, is education. And we need to share each other's stories. You know, like having Samina ha- be having the drop, drop back of, uh, backdrop of her mosque. I mean, it's like, like, Oh, wow. I want to learn more. You know, it's, it's inviting. It's, it's, we need to, to, to share the, the cultures because, 
you know, that's what America is about is our different cultures that we need to celebrate. That's why we have Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, you know, um, uh, the, you know, the, um, um, you know, for different months for, for Latinos and for African Americans. And, you know, these are, this is an opportunity to, uh, to, to really celebrate who we are collectively as Americans. You know, education is absolutely key. Um, and that's why we're pushing for ethnic studies programs to be in, uh, you know, high schools, to be taught in high schools or even earlier than that. Um, because, you know, I think that there's, there's so much. I mean, even though we're, we're in the Bay Area, we think, okay, it's, you know, in- inclusive, progressive, you know, diverse. Um, but we still have hate incidences right here in the Bay Area. And we have it. I mean, can you imagine, you know, how it's like in, in other parts of the state of California? So that's why it's incredibly important to have a robust um, ethnic studies program and we're really pushing to include an Arab American um, um, curriculum um, that would be incorporated with uh, teaching the you know Asian American studies as well um, where we've been unfortunately we've been uh, there, there's been a fight against that um, and so we're trying to push that and, and make sure that Arab American studies is incorporated um, w- within this program um, and it's important to know that and um, as Karen said you know that's why it's important to step back you know we we are seeing hate incidences um in in high schools or in schools and in general um care does a study or does a survey every other year um where we survey thousands of students um to ask them or hundreds of thousands whatever uh last year was 1500 students um ask them what their experiences are in schools and um you know we found that um the the number of hate incidences against Muslim students were twice the national average. And what's really concerning is that you have also teachers who are bullying students as well. And so um, if you have it coming from teachers, can that really sends a signal that it's almost okay for other students to um, engage in this type of bullying. And so it's important to have that education. It's important also to um, have people feel you know, comfortable to come out and report these type of incidences. You know, when I was, was doing a, a session or I was doing a speech with with high schoolers and I was asking what their experiences are in school. They're like, you know, oh yeah, no, I've never been bullied. And then when I asked them some more questions, I'm like, okay, somebody mentioned, oh yeah, I was called a terrorist. And I'm like, and then pretty much everybody in that group said that they were called a terrorist. So it's almost as though they have internalized this and said, okay, well, this is okay. It's not a big deal. Um, but in reality, once we had this discussion, they realized, yes, I have been bullied. Um, and so, you know, e- even though we've been getting, we put together an annual report, um, that is definitely not reflective of what's happening. And so we want to encourage people to, you know, speak out, to report things, whether it be, you know, um, to law enforcement or whether it be to um, community organizations such as CARE in order for us to keep track of these hate incidences. Because if we don't have that information, we're not going to be able to um, make any legislative changes at at all. And so, um, again, what what Karen was saying is that, you know, we need to celebrate each other's um, cultures and each other's identities, um, and, and, you know, in 2016, uh, some member Quirk introduced um, Muslim Appreciation and Awareness Month, and we've been having that going, uh, and this is August, um, we've been having this going, um, you know, ever since, um, but even then when he did introduce this, this uh, resolution, he received death threats. I mean, come on, you know, death threats 
for trying to um, recognize the contributions um, of American Muslims. And so, um, you know, it's, it's important for us to recognize each other's cultures, to recognize each other, what, what we brought to this country and how we've made, um, you know, the, the fabric of, of this country. And um, as Karen said, that we need to work together. We have to, we have to build coalitions. And, and that's what we've been trying to do is build coalitions with, with other groups and other communities. Because again, if somebody is going to have a, a racist or bigoted view or somebody who attacks, you know, one group, they most likely have those bigoted, racist, xenophobic views on other groups as well. And so, you know, we, we have to stand uh, together. We have to defend each other. Um, and, and, you know, that's the only way that we're going to be able to elevate each other is because, you know, we're, we're only stronger together. So that's incredible and a great point to end our program. Sadly, an hour is already up, isn't that? I always, um, I always want more. I want to do like two, three hour programs, but uh, we'll talk about that later. Samina, very quick before we end, though, uh, there is a question out there for you. Uh, an audience member loves your backdrop and wants to know exactly <laughs> where that is. This is actually a mosque in Shiraz uh, that's in uh, Iran. Uh, I would love to, the architecture in Iran is, is incredible, but I, I don't think I'm going to be able to go anytime soon. Uh, but yeah, I always do like to change up the backgrounds because there's so, so much beautiful architecture in uh, the, the Muslim world. Um, my favorites are in Turkey or or even there's a, a mosque in Pakistan where my family's from, uh, a mosque made of mirrors and like a beautiful mirrors around. When my parents went to uh, travel to China, there was a mosque that had carvings of the Holy Quran in, in wood panels uh, throughout the whole, all the walls um, that were covered, they had the, the inscriptions of the Quran, and actually the whole Quran was written out in there, so it's beautiful, but unfortunately, you know, mosques in China are, are you know, being destroyed, um, but you know, I, I pray that one day we'll be able to, to go and visit and that all of our communities are protected and safe. Yeah, let's pray for each other and also a round of applause for our amazing panelists. If you're there watching at home, your office, wherever you are, Dr. Karen Koromatsu, Samina Usman, and Judge Lillian Singh. Thank you so much to all of you who've joined us for this very important program. We have more programming coming up. You can check commonwealthclub.org slash online for our full schedule. And remember, please help us. Please support the work of the club and our mission to find the truth by donating, if you can, at commonwealthclub.org slash online. We'll see you next time.